Quack, 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 everybody. It is the final game of the regular season. It has a whole bunch of names, but on this podcast, we refer to it as the Platy. That is right, where we fight for our beloved trophy, a trophy which we did not forget about for a decade or two in a closet. Uh, this is going to be an actually really, could be a really fun game, or maybe fun isn't the right one. Uh, could be a very uh, nerve-wracking, uh, scary game to watch because there's a lot on the line here. If only one of these teams would have beaten the Huskies, or both of these teams would have beaten the Huskies, this, this could be an even better situation. But alas, it's still a very enjoyable one because we got a lot on the line. And that's what you want between these two teams. I'm always rooting for an 11-0 Oregon State team until hopefully they just get destroyed by the Ducks. That's what I want every single year. And they're they're looking pretty dang good this season. Uh, so to talk about them ahead of this most holy of games, we've got the one, the only Hithla Day from Addicted to Quack. If you couldn't tell, listeners, I'm running about 50%. Uh, it's not the COVID, it's just the normal ass flu or cold or something that's going through Eugene, Oregon. If you're living in this area, you know that this thing is running rampant right now. Luckily, we're doing this virtually, so Hithliday, you are safe. How are you doing, Hithliday? Uh, I'm well. I, I'm sorry to hear that uh, you're feeling under the weather. I hope you feel better soon. Oh, well, hope, you know, it was probably a little bit to do with the fact that I was screaming my guts out at tw- with 22 degrees against Utah this last Saturday. So in that case, it was definitely worth it. Uh, and also to break down this Oregon State roster, we've got Travis Johannes, a, a dear friend. That is right. I said it again two years in a row now. A friend of the podcast from Building the Dam, the premier Oregon State uh, website. How you doing, Travis? Oh, I'm doing all right. I, as a as a fellow, and I, I, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast before. Maybe I have. Um, and I, I'm scared to admit it, but as a fellow Eugene resident, I know exactly what you're talking about. I know uh, a bunch of people who have gone, uh, fallen fallen to the sickness right now. So, No joke. Yeah. Let's just keep these football teams in little safe bubbles. we got to keep them away from the general public. Uh, yeah, but uh, thanks for hopping on once again. Uh, excited to chat with you. Let's just dive right into this roster because I'm, I'm very intrigued. So, uh, Chance Nolan um, was the quarterback to start the year, but he got pulled in the middle of the week five game against Utah. Um, I think for ineffectiveness, uh, there were some interceptions in that game, um, and uh, we haven't seen him since. Uh, is that uh, your understanding of why Ben Gilbranson is playing? Uh, no, I think actually Chance has been in the concussion protocol. Oh, for really? Much of it. And I don't know. I think it's gotten to the point where even if he comes back healthy, it's probably Gold Branson's job for the rest of the year. Okay. But I know at least for several weeks he was still out. Um, so yeah, that's 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 why Gold Branson has taken over. Um, well, I've I, noticed. I, I was going to say I apologize if y'all hear my dog is drinking a lot of water right now in the background. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I can't hear the dog, but it does sort of sound like you're recording in windy area. Um, uh, I don't get that. Uh, but because um, like you shouldn't be out in Oregon weather right now. This is actually going to be a really cold game. Um, I, I am curious about how, you know, if any, the, the weather might affect the game. It's like it's so cold um, and it might affect the Apple Cup, too, which we're all rooting, obviously, for um, Wazoo in that game, because otherwise um, the University of Washington is going to win the Pacific Northwest Cup, uh, which that won't be good. Um, anyway, uh, I have noticed, not that I charted it or anything because it happened during garbage time, but during garbage time, during the reign of Gold Branson, um, that Tristan Jebbia, uh, a name I hadn't heard in years, um, was coming in and playing the garbage time drives. Um, if something happens to Gold Branson, knock on wood, you think it'll go to Jebbia and not Nolan? Yeah, I think I, unless there's been some change in Nolan's status I wouldn't be surprised I I I, as far as I know he's still out he still hasn't fully recovered but yeah so I think god forbid something happened to Goldbranson it's it's back to Jibia time which like you said that's a name we haven't heard in oh man like I I honestly it was when when he came in I was like oh yeah that guy still exists he's been our team captain for like two years and hasn't has played like two snaps but um Gobranson grades out uh, okay uh, on my tally sheet. It, I mean, this is a very run-dominated offense. You know, they're running at about a two-to-one rate. Um, they really only, you know, they uh, they really only switched to being a pass favored um, on third and long, and every other down and distance situation, um, they're running at least fifty-five percent. And in a lot of situations, it's you know way higher than that. Like third and short, for example, they're running at ninety-five percent. <laughs> um you know as well they might um uh but you know from the relatively few number of uh passing reps uh that go down um Gilbranson grades that okay the, you know there's there it's funny there's one like really distorting game in the record which is the Stanford game because it is simultaneously Gilbranson's worst uh, effort in terms of efficiency, you know, passing, you know, to, you know, passing enough to, to stay ahead of the sticks, you know, completion rate, that kind of thing. Um, but it is his best game by far for hitting long passes. He hit um, eight passes of 15 plus yards in that game, which is nearly half of of all long passes that he's hit during all of meaningful play for him. Um, so it's like, yeah, that game is really weird, you know, and, and frankly, you know, that entire game was weird, you know. Yeah, that one. That one. Um, they've, they've had a couple weird games this year, but that one definitely. Uh, yeah, it, it seemed like they should be taking care of business a little more, and then it 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 got a little scary. But yeah, um, it, and then like, uh, well, it, it's a little difficult to tease out because his numbers improve over the course of him being the quarterback. But it's also a case that the quality of teams that he or defenses that he plays kind of goes down over the, you know, time. So like, you know, Washington's defense stinks, Colorado's defense stinks, Arizona state's defense stinks. In fact, if you, if you like he's above water in terms of efficiency for his entire, you know, reign, you know, from, from the, the partial game against Utah, you know, on, um, he's above water, but if you exclude the Colorado and Arizona state games, he, he dives below water to like 46%. Um, 
but if you exclude the Utah and Stanford games, he's, you know, up to 55. So it's like it, it, it his performance is kind of dependent on the quality of defense that he's playing. Um, or I don't know if Stanford has a good defense, but that was just a weird game. You know, like this is what's difficult to like tease apart is that like I, I do his worst games are at the beginning of his time. And so you're sort of tempted to say, um, you know, oh, that was just like he needed to settle in, you know, like he's gotten stronger with more experience. On the other hand, like it, there's like an inversely, you know, the, the quality of defense that he plays sort of declines over time, too. So it's like difficult to disentangle whether or not he's getting better or defenses are getting worse. And probably both are the case. What do you do you have any insight into this particular question, Travis? No, I was actually I was kind of running the same thoughts through my head a little earlier when I was sort of when I was thinking about the uh, quarterback situation because it, it it does appear the past few games we've kind of gone oh oh he's really starting to figure it out but you do have that okay is he figuring it out or is the defense he's playing just that much worse than the ones before um, I, I I'm sure it, it, it probably is a little bit of both because obviously at least theoretically as as you get into more action you should be able to start figuring out a little more as you get more reps um there's the talent there so but yeah I, I definitely think it's probably somewhat aided by uh some not so stellar yeah competition well it's really it, it's you know, the, the team that I really wanted to watch Oregon State play more than anything else is UCLA. And, and it's unfortunate that they missed that team because, like, I really feel like their profile would have given Oregon State a really good test. Like, I, that game would have been really useful to me, but it doesn't exist. Um, uh, as long as we're on the passing game, I, we should spend more time talking about the running game because it's such a big part of the the offense. But, like, uh, we're still on the pass game. Let's... um. The, the other interesting thing, I mentioned the sort of like the, the down and distance stuff. The other thing is the formational stuff. I noticed this last year, and it's definitely continued to this year, where it's like this, there's like two different offenses. There's the shotgun offense and there's the under center offense. And like the shotgun offense is passing like all the like like passing 68% of the time. And the under center offense is running 77% of the time. And like first of all have you noticed that that like you know what the play is going to be based on where the quarterback is yeah definitely um yeah it definitely seems to tip their hands but do you, do you th like i feel i think that limits their effectiveness like i think you know opposing defense like I, I think it sort of helps their passing game when they go under center and in fact they're that's what's really funny about this is they're more effective throwing the ball when they go under center than when they're in the shotgun and the shotgun is their passing offense. Um, and the reason is, you know, all their under center passes are surprise, you know, they're surprise play action rollouts. Um, and, and, you know, but otherwise they're sort of like telegraphing the play, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's, that is one thing that does, I, I mean, I, I got to assume there's a reason they do it, but I don't understand what it is. <laughs> Well, the other thing that's like really weird about the shotgun offense is that they're terrible running out of the shotgun. Um, like they're they're only like 37 percent, uh, 37 and a half percent effective, which is a terrible run rate. And they run all the time. Um, you know, it's so like really they should just completely abandon the shotgun is what I'm saying. Um, and and like, you know, that that's the thing that's, you know. It, it, it's it's not a particularly like it, on 
my general thoughts about this offense is that they, they, they need to stay ahead of this, the chains, you know, that they, if they get into third and medium, third and long, um, their conversion rate is pretty bad. If it's third and short, oh, they're going to run the ball and they're going to get it. Like, you know, they're really good on, you know, it's very predictable that they'll run on third and short, but they're very effective running on third and short. So it doesn't matter. Um, but third and medium, third and long, um, they're that you know it doesn't matter run or pass they're bad at it and um and second and long too you know it doesn't matter run or pass they're bad at it so, so it sort of like strikes me as an offense that like they need to stay ahead of the chains and if they take a negative play um on first down or on second down that they're really in in trouble and probably are going to wind up punting the ball does that like match up with your feel for the team oh absolutely yeah it's uh and i think a lot of it has been for the most part this season, the quarterback play has been decent at best. So when you are just, like I said, relying on that running game, I think anything that relies so much on the running game, it's, it's you got to make sure say, you're, you're keeping it, keeping it short distance as much as you yeah. can. Cause once you get in those third and longs, there's only so many run plays you can, you can, you can throw out there with hope um, that it's actually going to work. But well, like the dots that I connect is that, you know, they're effective throwing the ball out of under center because in my opinion, it's a surprise. And the problem with, you know, when they get into long distance situations is that it's no longer a surprise that they're throwing the ball shotgun or under center. Like they're not, first of all, on third and long, if they go under center, they're not fooling anybody. It's going to be a play action pass. Um, and, and if they're in shotgun, we already, you know, it doesn't matter what the down distance is. If they're in the shotgun, it's going to be a pass. Um, and, and so like, you know, that's the thing It's like, I, I think it's an effective passing game if the passes come as a surprise, but it's not an effective passing game. If the, if the opposing defense knows it's going to be a pass because then, well, because then I think they defend the play differently, like um, which sort of gets into some other questions. But before we, we get into possible explanations, why? Let me just stop there and ask you, do you think that's the case that the, the passing offense is really only at its best when their surprise passes? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I think it's it's the passing offense has definitely struggled this year. And like I said, it, it, it's only when teams have to account for the run that a lot of those passes are, are a lot more effective because the other, because the defense is more in that run mindset and they go, oh, oh, oh crap they passed it all right and, and and that's and honestly that's I think that's the way most teams line up I'm sure that's the way most teams line up um coming into a game is okay if we can find a way to stop their run we're going to beat them because their passing game is not effective enough to to win a game really on its own. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And then I also agree that like defenses, you know, that they have to sort of default to be in run stopping mode. And that's why they're less effective when they're in run stopping mode. And then, oh, surprise, it's a pass. Then that defense is less effective. But if they know it's going to be a pass and they can switch into pass stopping mode, then, you know, surprise, surprise, uh, you know, the defenses are more effective in that circumstance. I think... I think part of it has to do with the offensive line and pass blocking. Um, and in general, I, 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 
I have some questions about the offensive line. I think this might not be as good of an offensive line as it has been under previous years with Jim Mahalchik, but let me put a pin in that and come back to the offensive line later. The other thing that I, I want to talk about is um, the wide receivers and the tight ends, um, the guys who are catching the balls, because this has sort of been a surprise to me um, because in, in previous iterations of this offense under Jonathan Smith, like tight ends really figured um, pretty significantly in the past game. And uh, that's really doesn't strike me as being true this year. Um, I mean, there's tight ends on the field all the time. They're always in 11 or 12 personnel, um, but they're just not catching passes very much. And then furthermore, the guy who I was really expecting this year to be the big pass catcher, um, Luke Musgrave, um, I don't. I haven't seen him at all. Um, instead of even seeing a, a, a Velling and Overman, who I didn't see much of in previous years, um, and they're just not targeted that often. Um, can you tell me, you know, what the heck is going on with the tight end situation, and and you know why suddenly has the the offense really transitioned away from targeting them? Well, I think a lot of it is is it was the oh, I'm trying to remember which game. I believe it was yeah Fresno State is mm-hmm. uh, I think late in the game. Um, Luke Musgrave got, had suffered a knee injury of some sort, and yeah, I, I remember that was a thrilling game. The the way that that yeah. game that game ended, and and I remember you know seeing him you know ginger on the field, but it didn't look I I don't know it didn't look that serious, and then I, I and then I was really confused why I wasn't seeing. Him. Do you think he's still suffering from that? Um, I think from from what I understand, I I think he might have um that. I don't think they've announced anything official, but I think he said um, to more or less, okay, that that's enough college football. I'm getting ready for the draft. Huh? So, because he has not, he has not suited up since then. And from, from what, from what, uh, from what I've seen, it wasn't terribly serious knee injury, but it was, it sounds like it was at least enough where it was, okay, I'm going to be out for a while. And you know what, maybe, Maybe it's just best to to start focusing on. So yeah, it doesn't sound like he's coming back at all this year, even if okay, even if he is a hundred percent healthy, which at this point he he very well may be. Um, I I mean I'm I'm rooting for him. Uh, you know that's an Oregon family. Um, uh, I I just you know it it is the most you know Oregon football thing in the universe for a really great player to sit out an entire season and then come in at the last minute to destroy the Ducks like every Duck fan is like lives in terror of this uh, happening Uh, but you don't think it's likely for for Luke Musgrave I don't think so but I kind of hope now just for (laughs) Um, what do you think about Velling and Overman as pass catchers Uh Velling has seemed to come on a little bit lately. Um, obviously, he's he's still pretty young, mm-hmm. so he, he's he's had some. He's been decently effective the past few weeks, but again, it's not it's not that same level of like okay, we can target him all the time. I think it's there was a couple plays the last game where I think the defense straight up forgot he existed. Yeah, yeah he has the the long touchdown, which is actually yeah. I think the longest play of Branson's career um, where like, yeah, it, it's two different DBs that they, they run a fake screen and then leak him out down the sideline and two different DBs um, 
you know, one of them's doing his job correctly, but the other one is screws up. Um, but, but both of them come down on the screen. And so he's just running and he's like, wide. There's like nobody within 30 yards of him. And he, he just gets to trot into the end zone. It, it was just like a total coverage breakdown. Again, Arizona state is like this sort of, you know, like I, I'm sorry for, for sounding like, um, I'm trying to tear down the beeves here. Cause I'm really not. It's just, it's very, it's very difficult to disentangle the fact that they've just played so many bad defenses or otherwise teams that have like packed it in, you know, like both Cal and Arizona state, I think are actually have some players to be decent defensive, you know, like I actually think the Arizona state's defensive line is one of the best in the pack 12, but that team is clearly packed it in. Like you could see it watching oh, that yeah. team, right? Um, yeah, they, they, they've, they've, they've had one of those years where, yeah, they, I mean, you think they've just said, all right, screw this. We're yeah. Done. And so it's like, you know, again, I'm not trying to tear down the beefs here. It's just like it's difficult to really tell what I'm looking at because they've just played so many teams where I'm just like, you know, like Washington's defense suddenly sucks. Cal's defense, you know, like the, the like they're having a rough year under Wilcox. You know, Arizona State's packed it in. They played Colorado, you know, like which is, you know, who knows what Colorado is doing. <laughs> you know, like it's just like all, all of these games under Gilbranson, you know, uh, you know, he didn't play against USC, which I really would have liked to see. And he only played for, you know, part of the game against, you know, Utah. The Stanford game should have been a trouncing, but instead it was super weird. You know, like it, it's just it's so difficult to really tell whether or not this is a good passing offense, you know, or not, you know, for those reasons. All right. I'll quit complaining about this. Well, um, I'm just, I'm just glad. I mean, I think you, you break these things down way more than I do. And so I'm glad to, that you're having the same thoughts I have as like, is this, what is, what is this passing offense? It's, it's, it's been a, a, a uh, mystery all year. So, so here's to me, I think, St- yet and still the biggest personnel mystery is the the wide receiver usage basically there's four guys who are getting passes and because the tight ends aren't really getting passes it means that you know they're really the only guys who are catching the ball period um it's uh number zero harrison number one Lindsay. those guys have both been around forever um there's number two gould and number seven bolden who have also sort of been around forever but like they haven't been used this much before i think um like i, I think pr- in previous years passes that would have gone to those guys were instead going to the tight ends and now they're going to those guys um so it's basically like there's four those four targets but here's the thing is harrison's getting twice as many targets as anybody else um and yet he is by far the least effective receiver, or at least, you know, p- plays that target him are only 44% effective. Everybody else is above 54%. And Lindsay's at 65%, which is like a really great number. Um, that usually speaks to, and I'm just talking from a numbers perspective now, um, and I'm curious about what your your opinion is about this. That sort of strikes me as a, usually numbers like that suggest quarterback lock-on. You know, that he's just he's got a favorite target who's Treshawn Harrison and he just wants to throw him the ball. And it doesn't matter if other guys um, are open or that's a, a better pass. You know, he's just like locked on on his dude uh, the, or his first read or whatever. What do you think about that theory, Travis? Yeah. And I think I mean, I think a lot of that might just be sort of that young quarterback to a degree. It's that. Uh-huh. Um, but also, I, I think I and I, I'm curious to how how your analytics factor into this but i it seems like harrison has had a ton of drops this year um especially yeah, early in the deal. year mm-hmm. especially early in the year there was I, I can't remember what can't remember what game it was i think it might have been the fresno state game where it just seemed like it what what is going on here um 
So, and, but yeah, he's definitely, he's definitely struggled with that some this year. I think he's, I think he's their most talented receiver, but he's, he's had his own struggles this year. And so I'm, I'm curious how much that has kind of that, that factors into some of those numbers on him because I think part of it is that he's the only tall receiver because the other three guys are all like five, eight, five, nine. Um, and even Harrison's not that tall. He's like six, six, one, you know, like it's, it's a pretty short receiving core. Um, and, you know, I think in the past, one of the reasons why he's like throwing to tight ends, is those are big dudes. Um, but like now it's, it, you know, it, it's, it, like I said, it's one six, one dude who's getting, you know, the lion's share of the targets. And then, you know, Lindsay's five, nine, uh, Gould is five, eight. And, uh, and I think that Bolden, yeah, is also five, eight. Um, and that's, you know, frankly, I think that Bolden's probably shorter than that. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Like, I, I sort of think there's uh, like, I, I like some of these guys speed. In fact, um, Gould in particular is super fast. Um, but like, it's sort of like, it's the champ Fleming's, you know, phenomenon all over again. Like I love watching those guys play, but just like, they can't beat a D like the, they have to be wide open. You know, like the scheme has to get those guys open. Cause there is no way they're going to win a 50, 50 ball. Um, what do you think about that theory, Travis? Yeah. And, and they do have a couple more tall receivers on the, on the roster. They just well, have yeah. not like, yeah, you take like uh, was it Makaya Tong is six mm-hmm. two. There's a couple. No, no one's exactly. super tall, but Dunmore is Dunmore. Uh, and I, I don't. I, I've been kind of curious all year to why we haven't seen them more. And obviously, well, I mean, yeah. obviously that's that's probably something the coaches are seeing in practice that they're uh, not. Yeah. But. I mean, that was going to be my question. So you've already answered it with, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that's the other, you know, theory number one that I have for why Lindsay's getting all these targets, even though he's the least effective, you know, plays that target him are the least effective. I don't want to say that he's ineffective. I can't really infer that from the numbers, but just plays that target him are less effective than plays that target anybody else. I think is because they're more likely to be, Harrison I'm talking about here. I, I think I said Lindsay a second ago, but Harrison is the one who's getting the lion's share of the targets. I think it's because he's Gil Branson is more likely to throw 50 50 balls to him because he's the best. He's the most likely one to, you know, to be able to win a 50 50 battle. And so he's got like harder catches to try to make. Whereas the other three dudes, all the, the short dudes, Lindsay and Gould and Bolden, they're really only getting throws when they're wide open. And so like, of course, you know, they're the plays targeting them are more effective. That's that's theory number two. Um, uh, uh, what do you think about that theory, Travis? Yeah, I mean, I hadn't even really honestly, I hadn't really thought about that that much, but yeah, that that does make a little bit more sense. It, it, it does, Harrison definitely does seem to have more of the difficult targets, like you were talking about, just because he's more likely to be able to get up and get that, you know, that that 50 50 pass. Whereas well, little, short, definitely- little short dudes like me ain't getting up yeah. there. Well, that was definitely the thing I was, I just most recently did the Arizona, you know, tape. Cause obviously I, it's the only, the only one I can study this week. I was caught up on my film. And so it's a, a little, you know, weighing heavier in my mind. And it was just, it felt like every pass, that I was seeing in that game was to guys who were just wide open, you know, like there were free access throws, you know, those out routes to the sideline where like Arizona state's defense was just like, they, they were playing with, with, 
you know, with that, you know, with inside, not outside leverage. And so they could always, you know, hit those, you know, and so the dude is just like stand, you know, not standing there, but he's running towards the sideline and like ankle Branson staring at him the whole way, you know, like he's, I'm not saying he's one read quarterback. I don't really even have enough data to say anything about how good of a quarterback he is, as I keep complaining about, but like <laughs> so many of his passes are, he's staring at this dude who's wide open. He completes his break. The cornerback is nowhere near him. He throws it to the open dude. So, like, of course, he catches it for a decent gain. It's sort of like it makes it difficult to evaluate, you know, what's really going. <laughs> you know, like, I, I want to see throw. I, I, I want to see contested catches, and I just don't see very many contested catches in this offense. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely. And I wonder how much of that they is because of the lack of experience of Gobranson, you know, if they don't trust him as much to be making those 50, 50 passes either. So I think, I think it's a, yeah, it's, well, I mean, that's, you know, when you're playing a serious opponent, which I, I would like to believe that Oregon is a more serious opponent than some of the more recent uh, uh, opponents that Oregon state has played, like what you're looking for in order to evaluate a, a quarterback in particular and a passing offense in general is like, how well do you perform in contested situations? Like, you know, under pressure and, and when the, you know, the defensive back is actually presenting a real challenge and like the data set that I have for that, you know, in order to predict how a team is going to play when they play against a serious defense you look for games in which they're not playing a serious defense but occasionally you you might see contested catches um but i'm not like I, my data set for contested catches against the bad defenses that oregon state has played is like nil it's nothing i have very little of it um and it makes it frustrating and difficult to evaluate this team which is why i'm asking you these questions uh uh just to, i guess as background for like the nature of my frustration um i, I just sort of think that he doesn't want to do it you know that he wants to you know i he 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 only want to be wants to be asked to throw to open guys which like i really saw like negative that sounds you know <laughs> I, don't, I don't mean it to be but like yeah. I, I sort of think that's you know, the nature of jonathan smith's offense too is that like jonathan smith wants to scheme a dude open you know uh, you know what i mean oh for sure and yeah it's yeah i think that's that's kind of how their offense has been it's just it seems to be a little more pronounced this year. And I think that's because probably because of some of the, I mean, even when chance was playing, he was having, he was struggling more this year than he had previous years. It seemed mm -hmm. like and Cole Branson has had his struggles and being a, you know, a first time starter. So I think, I think this is, this year is might be, and, and it, and it, I don't, again, kind of like you were saying, I don't want to, sound like I'm tearing anybody down, but I think this is probably the worst quarterback play they've had in the, in the Jonathan Smith era. It is it just, you know, to zoom out for a second. Do you think that's weird that, that Jonathan Smith who runs, he, he, he runs like everybody that I talk to agrees that, you know, that, you know, Jonathan Smith is the reason why pound for pound Oregon state is the most like it. I don't think that Oregon state is the best team in the PAC 12. But I do think that pound for pound, they're clearly the best team in the Pac-12, if you know what I mean by pound for pound, you yeah. know, like, adjusting for, you know, the talent rating and the sort of disadvantages that they have sort of structurally um, the, that like, boy, you don't want to play Oregon State. 
Um, and, and I think a big part of that, maybe 95% of it is, you know, Jonathan Smith and the offense that he wants to run. And it strikes me that like, if I were a pro style quarterback who wanted to go to the NFL and I wanted to put up, you know, big numbers playing in an offense that would get everybody's attention because, you know, I'm doing it with, you know, without the greatest talent in the universe around me, I would want to play for Jonathan Smith. And it, seems weird that he's never really developed a quarterback and he's not attracting better quarterback talent in the recruiting game. What, like, do you think I'm off base in that no, theory? No, it's absolutely baffling and I don't understand it. Hmm. I've, I, I, it's, I don't, the, yeah, I don't, I've had this conversation with other Oregon state fans. I've had it in my own head of like, why, what, what, what is the disconnect here? Why can't they, why can't, why can't, why haven't they had, you know, that, that stud quarterback come through um, either through development or just showing up some, like you said, some high rated prep kid or, or even just a, a you know, through the transfer portal. Yeah, I, exactly. Like it's, you know, it, like almost everybody in the, you know, in the Pac-12 is playing a transfer quarterback at this point. You know. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I, it's. It's. I don't understand it. I've. Yeah, we've. Oregon State fans have have kind of pondered this a bit because it does feel like, God, they are a quarterback away from just being a really. I mean. Really, yeah. Damn good team. It, it really is, you know, the missing thing. Well, we'll talk about the defense, but like I, I the the, uh, I think they're probably going to lose a lot of the pieces that made the defense or makes the defense pretty good this year. So like I don't know what next year is going to look like, but you could start out a lot worse by getting a good quarterback out of the portal. Um, yeah. And I, I I I obviously have no insight or anything to that, but I I would venture to guess that they are going to they. We'll probably be hitting the portal hard this this well Gabranson's a young like he's got more eligibility left oh yeah like he's... I, I would think that if they could get um somebody else out of the portal who might be better that that would be like a pretty serious threat to his job wouldn't you yeah absolutely and i think i think i mean i kind of think they have to at this point if you want to take that next step yeah. and you know maybe next year Maybe they they really believe in Goldbranson and his his potential and his ability to step up. But I think even if you do, you gotta try to get as much talent in that quarterback room as possible. So well, he's got. We shouldn't run him down too much. He's got no. like. I think he's got like seven out of the nine qualities. I just made nine up. Um, he's, I think he's only, he's, he's only missing a couple of the, uh, you know, qualities that keeps him from being a really great quarterback. Um, like he definitely has the arm strength to paint the field. Um, he scrambles really well. You know, he handles the ball. Well, he understands the offense, you know, he, he runs and manages the offense. Well, like I, I have no complaints at all. Like, I don't think he's a bad quarterback. It really just comes down to, I don't really see him making, um, contested catches. And I sort of think he might have lock on syndrome, but even if he doesn't, the few passes that I've seen him try to make, um, it, uh, you know, in which the DB is seriously involved in the play, like he's just not placing the ball accurately enough, like, you know, um, which like, you know, being able to throw the ball 
downfield with accuracy like that's the primo quality in a pro style quarterback and and so you know if he doesn't wind up developing that ability over the offseason yeah i would definitely think that um his job might be in jeopardy even though like i said i, I think he's like 80 90 percent of the way to being a very high level quarterback it's just you got to be more accurate you got to be able to make contested throws and and i just don't see that um at least not yet he'll probably develop it against oregon <laughs> yeah i'm waiting for that. that's what that's that's the plan that's... yeah I, every quarterback has their heisman moment against oregon i can tell you that from long experience <laughs> um let's talk about the running backs um this has been uh, an interesting room to me it looked like deshaun fenwick the south carolina transfer was in pole position early on um but i he just like his numbers are really bad um uh and and pretty much i've stopped like the last couple of games i haven't seen him at all um instead they've transitioned to uh damian martinez who's really good his numbers are great he's a great running back i think he actually bails this line out uh, more often than is generally appreciated like i've got a bunch of plays on my tally sheet in which i think the blocking looks terrible and, and jim Halchik is probably throwing his hat and jumping up and down like a cartoon character it's so bad um but martinez you know busts out a 10-yard run where he's breaking a bunch of tackles anyway um you know really great i have no questions really about martinez um but what I do have questions about is the other two guys, because I, I, I don't think he, this offense is sustainable with only one guy. And I was only seeing one guy really against um, against Arizona State, because I think that Fenwick is in the doghouse and Jam Griffin um, is getting very few carries. And then he was sitting out for much of the game against Arizona State. Uh, I'll stop there. What the heck's going on with running back room, Travis? Uh, I know Fenwick has been out with an injury, and I don't remember. Oh, is that an injury really? Okay. But but even before then, I think even before then, he was kind of he was falling down on that on the on the uh, depth chart there, mm -hmm. and you were seeing a lot more a lot more of Damian Martinez, and yeah, and Griffin got hurt last game, and I'm not sure what the status on him is. So we did see a lot more of like Isaiah Newell near the end, and. Um, a little bit of Trey Lowe, which we haven't seen much of this year. Yeah, you know what's funny is I, I have I only have two meaningful carries for Trey Lowe. I have zero meaningful carries for Newell. Like it's all been in garbage time for him. Do you think that? Um, and so, like, I don't, I, you know, my my database won't allow me to to evaluate Newell because it was garbage time. Um, do you think if uh, in in this game against Oregon that it's going to be Martinez and Newell? I think I would I would imagine Lowe would probably be the second back there but i oh, okay. i don't know he he missed much of has missed much of the season with injury so i yeah if if griffin and fenwick aren't healthy I, and and depending on low status i think the next guy up probably is isaiah newell which i would venture to guess you're just going to see a ton of damian martinez at that point i don't think they're going to be going much to anybody else except for those times where you know they absolutely need to Hey, podcast listener. Hey, Come you. over here. Come yeah. over here. Get over here, yeah. huh? Nice headphones you got in here. Oh, yeah, I like those, Chevy. Be a shame if something were to happen to those headphones, eh? <laughs> Stomped them on the ground, eh? Be real easy to avoid that smashing if you went over to the Quack12 Twitter account and gave us a little follow. Just a little follow, that's all we're asking. 
And hey, look at that. I hear you're listening to your new podcast apps in your car, huh? Driving home, making the long journey feel a little shorter, eh? Is that what he's doing there, bud? (laughs) Yeah, turning your three-hour drive into a nice little vacation, huh? Be a shame if your car ended up on the bottom of a lake. Splash. Splash maybe with you in the trunk of it, huh? Glug, glug, guzzle, guzzle. Maybe all that can be avoided with a little trip to the quack. 12 page on Apple Podcasts. All you got to do is go to Apple Podcast, Quack 12, give us internet. five stars. Yeah, the internet. You got it, bud. Five stars. Leave us a little comment. Help other people find it. Maybe it'll help people find you when they find out that you're gone missing if you catch my drift. You seen the posters on the telephone poles? Yeah, those are those are people that didn't give us fucking five stars. Some of them did, and we did it anyways. And then uh, you know, uh, oh hey, hey look at look at this podcast listener on their long inner inner uh, continental flight, making things not so bad, not wanting to hear that baby by covering it up, wah wah, so they say, putting on them headphones. Trying to get the sky waitress's attention. Get over here. Give me more of that Quack 12 podcast. Yeah. 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 Why don't you? Yeah. You want some more of that Quack 12 podcast, don't you? Yeah. You want to buy some more from us, don't you? Get it. Otherwise, get you know, because if you don't buy this Quack 12 podcast insurance, you never know when your plane's going to go straight down into the water, into the old Atlantic, Blash. never to be seen again. Glug, glug, guzzle, guzzle. In case you don't want to be th- part of the rock and roller club of the bottom of the fucking ocean, then I recommend you go to the Quack 12 Patreon. Come on, come on. Why don't you go to the Quack 12 Patreon, give us five smackaroos, and for that we can forget about the whole nasty business have you on your way. We'll forget about it. We'll forget about it, all right? Five measly dollars. That's all I got. Now listen up, punk. Because it looks like you're not seeing so good right now. My boss is talking to you, chump. Aren't you, chump? Yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. All right, let him him go, Mikey. Let him go. In the bottom of the fucking ocean. Ayo! Quack, quack. Against Washington in week 10, we saw, I want to ask you about Jack Leto, uh, my, my favorite Bieber. Um, we, over the course of the year, up through the Washington game, we were seeing more and more and more, you know, wildcat or, or wild Jack uh, um, plays. We were seeing a lot of eye formation stuff in which he was playing the fullback. Um and then the last two games against Cal and Arizona State, we were basically not seeing that at all. Um, like uh, Coletto kind of disappears from the field almost entirely over the last two weeks. Uh, what's um, what's going on with that? That was another injury situation. He got oh, injured. Yeah, and I'm he was out God, middle of the game, I think, versus Cal. And hmm. then, yeah, he was not – he didn't suit up. For, I, missed, I missed that. I I, ex- for, I wound up excluding almost half of the Cal game because it went into garbage time yeah, so fast. Yeah. Um. So did, and I know 
at least last week before before the crap oh Arizona State game mm-hmm. that uh Smith at least alluded to the chance that most of the guys that missed the Arizona State game at least had a chance to be healthy for the Oregon game. So do you think, do you think that's just coach speak or what do you think? Yeah, that's that, again, that's uh, who knows. I Yeah. Well, it's not like Oregon isn't going to play the same game with their yeah, quarterback. Exactly. So, yeah, exactly. I, I'm certainly in no position to criticize coaches yeah. in that regard. But <laughs> I, like, yeah, that, I was about to say, so take that for what it's worth. I have no idea. Um, so, yeah. but I mean, it's just sort of a, it's a weird situation because, like, I think they have one of maybe arguably the best running back in the Pac-12 in Damian Martinez. And then it's a possibility due to injuries and whatever's going on with Fenwick and whatever's going on with Coletto that, like, they don't have anyone else to carry the ball. Because Goldbranson, even though he's a pretty decent scrambler, d- doesn't really carry the ball in designed runs. They don't have anybody else. Maybe Coletto is out. And so it's like... And for a team that runs the ball on a two to one basis to only have one guy with a functional pair of legs is like, that's potentially really bad, you know? Oh yeah. I, yeah, I, it's, it's amazing because they've had quite a bit of depth there, but you do look, Mm -hmm. they've been, they've really been bitten pretty hard by the injury bug this year. Um, A lot feeling, feels like a lot more than they have the past few years, especially the past couple weeks. It seems like, like last week that they were missing so many guys or, you know, it just, it's yeah. yeah, I, and that's why it's like you said, it, it, who knows if it's coach speak, but the, the health of some of these depth players could absolutely play a huge role this week. Because like you said, if these guys aren't getting healthy, you got Damian Martinez and then it's like, uh, here's okay. And and it's like another guy, maybe, you know, there's, you know, most offenses, you know, can't really function with only one running back. Like they need to give that guy a, a breather. This offense, like in which they're running, you know, 66% of the time, like that's really a problem. You know, they probably need three, you know, decent running backs, you know, just to, to, to carry the load. Um, and I, they're, you know, I, I really don't know anything about Isaiah Newell. Really don't know anything about Kanoa Shannon. He's the other guy who's been getting some garbage time carries. I really don't know much about Trey Lowe, even though he's been there forever. He transferred from Washington, and I think like 2019. Um, like I, I really, I have no data about how any of the backup guys are. I, I think that Fenwick is probably not a good running back. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure what Gilmore is. Um, although I, I can definitely say that he's not as good as Martinez. Um, and so, and you know, the, the run game is not structured around Gobranson keeping the ball and, you know, and while Coletto could carry the ball, like it's always obvious when he's going to carry the ball because, you know, he comes in and wild cat plays. So, and I don't know if he's available. So it's sort of like, I, this, I'm sorry if this sounds like I'm like rooting for injuries here. Cause I'm definitely not, but like, it just strikes me as a really potentially like, why is nobody talking about this? That, you know, that this, because, you know, I read previews of the Civil War that other people have posted or the game formerly known as the Civil War, uh, um, the the the, the platy. Um, and I'm sort of like, this is like you know, this glaringly obvious thing to me. It's like potentially really, you know, going to affect the game. Yeah, it's yeah, it's well, it's, I don't know. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll knock on wood that everybody's healthy. Like it's not, you know. Yeah, this team has gotten a lot better over the past few years as far as depth goes. You know, 
a few years ago, one injury could have crippled this team. Sure. Um, but still, we're definitely with some of the some of the injuries right now. It, it has gotten to that point where it's like, oh crap, we are. We're not well, tell, here if we can't. Tell you what, I, I will trade you a, a healthy Deshaun Fenwick for a healthy Bone Nix. Like that. That's about an equivalent trade, right? Oh, I thought you were giving me Bonix, and I was. Oh no, I mean, like, <laughs> if the if the cosmos if the cosmos to make things fair, you know, repairs one guy for each team. Let's let's have it be Bonix and Deshaun Fenwick. That'll be that that's balanced, right? Um, I'm I'm not sure. I'm gonna have to let me, let me get back to you on that one. I'll have to let's talk about the offensive line. See if we can throw some more people in. The- <laughs> I've okay. So guys who I've seen on every snap, um, just like get them out of the way, uh, left tackle, uh, gray, uh, the center 11 good and the right guard, uh, Kipper, which is interesting because he used to be the tackle. Um, is that correct? Yeah. Um, Fuaga, the new right tackle, um, missed a, a game against Cal or missed part of a game against Cal, but then I was seeing him again against Arizona state. looks like he's good to go. Don't need to worry about him. Yeah, I think that's where we are with him at this point. He was he he was another one who obviously got banged up and was out for. Yeah, and and Murano came in and played a few snaps. Um, the weird one's been left guard. Um, I think they started. It, it's really gone back and forth. They started with sixty Brewer, um, and then uh, and then like game two, they 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 switched to Hanelli Bloomfield, who I think is a transfer from Utah State. Um. And then back to Brewer and then back to, back to Broom, Bloomfield and back and forth and back and forth. But then I think both of them have been injured in the, the last game or so. They've been playing um, number 61, Miller. Um, and I I would guess simply because he played the entire game against Arizona State that Miller is going to play again against Oregon at left guard. Is that – what do you think about that? I, I It could be Bloomfield because he's – Right now, he was out with an injury past couple weeks. So mm-hmm. if he's healthy this week, I could see him taking that back. But yeah, I, I would imagine it's one of those two, um, depending on Bloomfield's health. Here's the thing that's interesting to me, and, and I'm wondering if this matches up with your observations. Um, uh, um, I, I, I don't think this offensive line is as consistent. Well, just let me make a general observation. Let me bounce it off you first. Um, I don't think in general this offensive line has been as consistent as uh, some of the great Oregon State offensive lines for the last couple of years. Do you think I'm off base about that? No, and I think, like you said, it's part of it's been the past couple of years they've been really remarkably healthy. Yeah. And you've had mostly the same guys in there, and I think – this year, like I said, between the the Brewer and Bloomfield, and then a couple other injuries, I th- they haven't. It's been a little, maybe a little harder for them to gel. Plus, th- as good as a coach as Jim Holacek is, there still is a lot of depth issues at the offensive line position where mm-hmm. you have maybe six guys where you're like, okay, these guys are Pac-12 guys, and then you have some guys behind them that you're developing and they will be Pac-12 yeah. guys at some point, but they're not there yet. And right now seems like this year, some more of those guys that you, you probably don't want on the field yet are getting more time than they have the previous years. So well, it, it's there. They've still done honestly fairly well for given that situation, but yeah, it definitely hasn't been what we've seen the past couple of years. Well, the thing that strikes me is that 
I definitely think the injury situation and sort of the back and forth at left guard has affected things. But on my tally sheet, that's not the biggest deal. The The biggest deal is, number one, I think the Kipper is playing out of position um, because it's it's funny. His um, his pass protection grades on my tally sheet are the best on the team. Like that guy never gives up pass pass block errors. On the other hand, he's the worst rush blocker on the team. Which like that's what you expect when you're of a tackle, right? You know that that's that's what tackles' jobs are, and and so I think it's really weird that they moved him inside and are playing him at guard. I, what do you think about that move? Yeah, I'm. I never really understood it. I I saw. I, I know they really liked uh, the other two tackles that they have, um, and so I think maybe that was just their. I don't know if they just decided that, okay, he's going to be the best of those three at guard or because they, they wanted to get all three on the field, but yeah, it's been a, it was an interesting move to to say the least. And I saw, I feel like I saw something that talked about, like, they think that's his best shot at the next level is at guard, which that's probably true. So they, they want tackles to be just absolutely superhumanly enormous. And so everybody who's not, they're like, well, play him at guard. Cause he might have a better shot there, but it's, you know, it's really funny. But then here's the, here's the other crazy thing is that uh, gray what's Gray's first name, Brandon, Brendan. They're all just they're all just numbers and last names. Tally sheet, unfortunately. Um, oh, no, I'm drawing a blank. I know it too. Uh, uh, I've got the roster up. I can do it. Uh, vamping. Looks like Jay. Something Jay. It is Joshua. 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 You were right. It's Brandon Kipper. That's who I was thinking. Yeah. Anyway, um, Kipper and Gray out of switch positions. Um, because Gray is the reverse. His rush blocking grade is the best on the team which that's not what you need at left tackle. On the other hand, his pass blocking grade is the worst on the team. Now he's the guy who gets attacked the most. Cause of course you attack the left tackle the most with a right-handed quarterback, but still like, like it's funny. You've got a, you've got a tackle playing guard in Kipper. Who's really great in pass protection and not so great in run blocking. And you've got what looks like a guard playing tackle in terms of what their run versus pass effectiveness is with gray, uh, you know, playing left tackle. And I'm just like, switch them. And, and like, I know that Kipper knows how to play tackle because that's what he was doing for like three years. For, for forever. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's he's, been, he's one of those other guys that's been here forever. It feels like. And then the other problem is that the guy who grades at the absolute worst on my sheet, although, you know, barely, uh, is Levin good? Um, the center, like I, I see that guy get run over a lot. And, and you know, that's why I, uh, I'm not asking you to endorse any of these opinions or anything. I, I'm just sort of like, <laughs> the, it, it, it led me to a very strange conclusion, which is even though I really like Jim Halchick and I really like the sort of like the development cycle and the fact that they really take their time developing guys. Like I really, you know, uh, I think the job that he's doing with the talent that he's getting is just an absolutely tremendous job. But like this offensive line doesn't scare me as much as the 2021 or the 2019 offensive line did. Um, and I'm wanting, I'm wondering whether you think I'm being irrational for thinking that Travis. Um, no, I, I, it, they definitely have seemed to take a step back this year. Um, I mean, I think it's still, I mean, not, I still think it's one of the best offensive it, lines in the PAC 12. Like, yeah, it's still pretty I feel good like maybe team. like nine out of the 12 PAC 12 teams would trade you their offensive line for this one in a heartbeat. Um, but like, uh, I, I really no contest, you know, there at all, but like, but 
in the past, the the offensive line was the reason for Oregon State success. Um, and now I feel like the reason for Oregon State success on offense is Damian Martinez. Uh, it's sort of like making the line look better than it is. Do you think that's an off-base opinion? No, I, I, I think, yeah. And a lot of that is, God damn, Martinez is good. But really is. yeah, it's, 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 it's one of those diamond in the roughs that just makes you smile. But yeah, he's a, uh, he's, but yeah, I definitely think he has made the rushing game look even better than it kind of is. Whereas past couple of years, I think, like I said, the offensive line has been doing the bulk of that work. Yeah. All right. Let's switch over and talk about the defense. Um, very like in rust outs at any rate, very impressive defensive performance and with, you know, not, you know, the most talented un- uh, team in the universe. Right. I, the fact that Oregon state's defense is they're, they're, they're kind of a defense first team this year is just, yeah, it, it's, it, I, that I have not wrapped my brain around all season. Um, I think that I, I, okay. So last year they fired, um, uh, what's his name? Um, Tim Tibisar. Tim Tibisar, and they promoted Trent Bray. Um, and, uh, you know, he had a couple of games against Stanford and ASU. I think they were, do- they're, they've been doing a thing for everybody's week 12 game is the same, uh, you know, and, and they played pretty well. And then, you know, they played in the platy and Oregon crushed them. Uh, and I was like, see, I told you like this guy's, you know, no different. Um, and so here we are all over again. Trent Bray has been nominated for Bryles. I think he's a semifinals for the Bryles award. He did um, he, no, he didn't make the top 16, which I'm kind oh, of you're kidding. No, no, I, as well you might that's that is i'm genuinely like, surprised about that yeah i i actually yeah. like spoiler alert i don't quite think this defense is as good as its numbers look but the numbers are all those dumbasses have to go on how dare they not put him <laughs> in the top 16 you know like did yeah. they not know what he's doing with this <laughs> what, talent level like what and what they were yeah previously um I think that a large part of their defensive success is just how senior laden um, this defense is, right? So like the defensive line, Rawls and Sandberg um, and Hodgins have been there forever. Uh, Omar Spates, the linebacker, has been there forever. Uh, so is Fisher Morris and Mascarenas. Um, you know, they're, I think they're getting decent play out of the OLBs. I think Lola Hea. I want, I want to talk about Lola Hay separately because he's a really interesting character, but he's, you know, grades out really well on my tally sheet. He's, you know, more experienced guy. Um, and then they're sort of finally getting good cornerback play out of Rajon Wright and, um, and Austin. Uh, and, and it's sort of, you know, like everybody that I just mentioned was playing on the, I think the last three years, you know what I mean? Like, um, like the, it's except- a very, very experienced defense. Yeah. Mascarenas wasn't, I think, is he? A yeah, he might be new. He's, but like just a, yeah, about or he's a sophomore. Sorry, he's a sophomore. But like just about everybody has been, you know, playing extensively the last couple of years on this defense and like not taking anything away, but actually I will, but not taking anything away from them yet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think that it's just sort of like, this is what happens when you play like a super experienced defense is that like, yeah, by the time that they're seniors, they should be hitting pretty hard. You know what I mean? Yeah, it definitely helps. Um but still, I think, yeah. So the, I don't know where I was going with that. It, it definitely is. A, is to the me, experience the experience is huge, but 
even a couple years ago, I don't think a senior laden defense would be even still even good at Oregon State the way it was. So, yeah. So structurally, this is what's really interesting to me. Um, Tibisar's defense was structured as a three four, um, but then they couldn't really. But because of sort of a lot of problems at nose tackle, they they never really could play a three four. And so they were playing a two four five. Right. You know, two down linemen, two OLBs, five, you know, dudes in the backfield. Um, And then Tibsar gets fired and Bray takes over. But of course, he's got the same, you know, personnel. And so he's continuing to run a two four five until they get to the bowl game against Utah State. And then something really interesting happens, which is that they take Lilahea number 90. And they stand him up. And so even though he's officially categorized as a defensive lineman, um, he's his responsibilities are are much more like a, another outside linebacker. And so even though this is technically, you know, a three down front with one OLB, you know, technically this is a three, three, five, if you're just going by what these guys official labels are, but really I think what they have is an excellent stand-up end in Lola Heo and two excellent um, fist down linemen in Rawls and Sandberg. And then they've had sort of a rotating cast of characters as the o- other OLB spot. The guy who grades out the best for me is number 10 Chatfield. Um, but, uh, uh, um, uh, sharp number 56 is uh, pretty good. McCartan doesn't grade out that well for me, but like, you know, he's not terrible uh, either, but the, just before we talk about that, I, I, I really think that's the key to understanding. This is, is not really a three down front. It's a two down front, but with Lola Haya playing a, this hybrid role that he's really good at. And I think Lola Haya is the key to understanding this entire defense. Uh, what do you think about that theory, Travis? Yeah, I hadn't really honestly thought about it that much, but yeah, it's it's it, it yeah, I haven't really been able to have a good reason why things have changed so well, but I think you you, you kind of hit the nail on the head there with well, just structurally, this isn't they're not putting a nose tackle in. Right? Yeah. Like you haven't seen a nose tackle. I think the closest no. that they have to a nose tackle is number 99 Hodgins. Um, but we're just not seeing him that often. Like they really only bring him in for like really obvious rushing situations where it's like, oh, it's, thir- you know, 13 personnel, the I <laughs> formation, you know, in third and one. And they really need to yeah. it up. But otherwise, I mean, it's been Rawls, Rawls and Sandberg is the two guys in the middle. Lola Haya off the edge. And then, you know, Chatfield or McCartan or Sharp or sometimes Stover, you know, is the other OLB spot. Um and, you know, the thing that's uh, remarkable, well, and I think that Rawls and Sandberg are really, really good, like, or, or at least they're really good as seniors at this point, you know, like they ought to be, you know, they grade out very well. Um, they're, they're great run stopping. They don't really need a lot of help. Um, and it's basically, it's an effective front with, with those, with those three plus an OLB, um, where it really starts to break down is when they need to sort of sub in because the other guys that I see like 95 golden and 98 Anderson and 92, um, the other right, uh, uh, Jay, right. Um, I don't think those guys are very good at all. Uh, and, and so like Rawls and Sandberg have to play like basically every snap is, you know, Lola Haya can take a breather cause they have a bunch of OLBs to replace him. But if Rawls and Sandberg need to take a break, like suddenly the rush defense sort of collapses because the, the other defensive linemen are just not as good. Um, and, and so the either are fighting fatigue problems or talent replacement problems. And that, that sort of like that creates issues. Travis, have you noticed something like that? Or do you think I'm off base? No, I think you're right on. I, I think 
I think a lot of it is sort of that that same we've talked about at other positions is the depth still isn't quite there. You have mm-hmm. you have a few guys who have enough experience and have have um, progressed enough that they are now quality Pac-12 players, and then you have guys behind them that aren't there yet. They you know you you obviously you can see some some things in them that say okay next year two years. They very well could be there, but they're not right now. Um, and yeah, and I think the defensive line has been solid this year, but it is still a after years and years of being a massive weakness on this team. Sure. They they haven't, they just well, don't have the depth yet to to really be able to withstand a whole lot of attrition, either via like you said fatigue or god forbid injury or whatever yeah right and let's knock on wood um well it's the it's definitely the thing that i will give trent bray the most credit for or at least i think he deserves credit for this is that like tibisar wanted to run a 3-4 defense he couldn't because he didn't have a nose tackle and his and basically he was just throwing his hands up and being like what do you expect me to do i can't run the defense that i want to run and trent bray hasn't been throwing his hands up he's been making the 2-4 work or the the two asterisk, you know, where Lola Hea is the asterisk. Like he found that as the solution um, to make a two down front work is that he's got a stand up end um, who's really kicking ass. Um, and I commend him for discovering that. Like, I really do think that that is um, cool for him to, you know, to, to think his way out of the, that box. Um, I do, you know, we're getting ahead of ourselves again. We, we did this on the offense too, but I'll just say it because it's in my head. Um, I really worry about next year because like a lot of those guys are got to be gone, right? Like this has got to be Rawls and Sandberg's last year, right? Rawls is a junior. Really? Yeah. I don't, I, I between the COVID year and all the, 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 where you can play, you know, four games or whatever and not use, lose eligibility. I feel like huh. there's so many players that, have just you're like wait how are you still just yeah because yeah. i no i while you're talking i'm i i could not remember what 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 rawls was so yeah he's he's listed as retro junior um um do you think any of this guy's gonna try to go pro you know i never really know anymore <laughs> i'm always kind of surprised by the guys who do and the guys who don't um well I, speaking of Speaking of guys who've been around forever, Omar Spates is the in, inside linebacker, uh, somehow still around. Uh, he's he's having a pretty good year. Um, and then it's nice because they've had some rotation. You know, they, They've basically been rotating back and forth between um, Fisher Morris and Mascarenas Arnold, um, who are two people, not four. Um, but Omar like, Spates is a junior, by the way. He's been around for I don't, I don't I, understand I, I, He's one that I would, I would imagine this is his last year. Um, um, yeah, like, I, yeah. Again, sorry, just... Because it does feel like he's been here 18 years already. Um, what do you think about the the OLBs? I I, I said a second ago that I thought that Chatfield and Sharp were way better than McCartan, um, and yet McCartan has been getting more reps. Do you um, do you share that assessment, or what do you think is is up with that? Yeah, I I, I didn't. Yeah, I'm not really sure what's up with that. To be honest, um, I know. I know McCartan has had battled some injuries for a couple of years. Yeah. And so that seems to have slowed him down, but I'm not sure. 
why he's been getting more reps than the other guys when like you said it does definitely seems like chatfield chatfield's really good yeah like he's yeah this he was the he was a florida transfer um yeah yeah let's okay uh let's talk about the cornerbacks um Wright and Austin, you know, I remember when we talked about Wright over the summer, he, he, that guy is super frustrating because, or he has been frustrating for much of his career at Oregon State. Um, I think he's a Juco transfer. Um, yes. He's, yeah. oh yeah, he was one of the last chance you guys, wasn't he? I think so. There was, there was another, um, his brother was also on the team, Nation Wright. And so, mm-hmm. I don't remember if they're both last chance you guys or if just one and one of them was at least. Um, um, and I think they're related to somebody else who's a defense. I think they're a yeah. cousin to somebody Alton, else. Who's in the uh, Alton Julian. Alton Julian, although I think he's missed. Yeah, he's. I think he's, he got an injury last year. And I, like, I haven't seen him since. Um, I don't really know what the score is with that guy. Uh, I don't really either, honestly. Um. Right, getting back to him, Rajon Wright, um, super frustrating for much of his career because he, he like he's a very long cornerback. I definitely think he has some NFL potential. Um, but if he's beat, which happens, he gets real <laughs> grabby. Like he gets real yeah. he, he gets yeah. a lot of flags. Um and I still think I'm seeing some of that, you know, this year. I don't think he's totally over that. Um it's improved, but yeah, there definitely still is. But I think he's like, you know. I think if a team only has one good wide receiver, they put Rajon Wright on him, and like that guy is effectively locked down. Like it, it effectively is what happened to Washington, um, and so a lot of throws wind up going against um, uh, number five Austin. Uh, how do you how do you evaluate Austin? Um, do you think he's like for real? Um, God, I, he's he's kind of he's been impressive this year it's it's one of those that you do kind of wonder is he for real or is he just kind of getting the benefit of you know facing some i guess lesser receivers but yeah. i've been pretty impressed with him this year especially compared to where he was the past couple of years um it's it's always i defensive backs are always one of the harder ones for me to kind of go okay this guy's good this guy's yeah, there, it's hard for me too because the broadcast angles are are usually like if a cornerback is really doing his job, you never see him. You know, yeah, the camera exactly. just isn't pointed at him. Um, and, you, and, you know, you see him when they're getting burned or they're getting flags. Yeah, pr- precisely. Which is why I sort of think maybe I'm more frustrated with Wright than I ought to be because like the only time I ever see him is when he's getting flagged, and like that, you know, those really hurt the team, of course. But like, um, I sort of think this is where the game is going to be decided. Uh, to be perfectly honest with you, like I think the question of whether or not Oregon State's cornerbacks are for real and will be able to, you know, defend Oregon's fairly talented wide receiver core and quarterback who is pretty accurate at throwing to them um, and and making contested, you know, throws to them. Um, I I think, you know, that's where the game is going to be decided. Uh, What do you think about that, Travis? Oh, absolutely. That's, yeah, I think that's, that's my, that's my biggest concern right now is, okay, are, is this team, are we going to be able to stop the passing game? Because like I said, if, if I think if Oregon state can continue playing, at least the way it looks like they're playing on the defensive on the uh at least in the past game. I, I think it's gonna be real hard for Oregon to get the win here. But 
Well, the, the remarkable thing is that like they grade out better in pass defense than in rush defense. They actually grade out in terms of it's, they have been very effective at limiting um, op opponents yardage. Uh, like their the opponents are only getting about 4.85 yards per carry um, uh, running the ball against Oregon state, but they're, they haven't been great at preventing efficiency runs. Like they're, they're, you know, just like converting third and shorts, like that sort of thing. They're actually, you know, pretty far underwater. Um, on the other hand, like, I think that Oregon's rush game is probably going to be somewhat limited, you know, given that Knicks can't run and like a lot of their um, run game is sort of, it's, it is contingent on keeping the defense honest by having to honor the quarterback run. And if they don't like, that's what Utah discovered is that they could just crash the back. Um, and I think that will probably be, you know, true in this game. So it will probably be the case that Oregon's going to have to throw in order to win this game. And like, it's going to come down to the cornerbacks. Um, and boy, I, you know, I don't know, I guess we're going to find out whether they're for real um, or not. Um, you know, like they did a pretty good job against USC, but on the other hand, like, I really don't think that um, I don't think that Lincoln Riley took, let me ask you this question. Do, I thought that USC's game plan against Oregon State and actually in a bunch of other games, I thought was terrible. Um, I really, you know, didn't think much of what Lincoln Riley was trying to do against Oregon State. And again, this is going to sound like I'm trying to tear down the beeves and, and it's it's not my goal, but like it, it sort of makes it difficult. Like that was by far the best passing offense that they faced, out, you know, them in Washington. And they did a really good job against both them and Washington. Washington, I really do believe it's because I, you know, I was watching their cornerback shut down um, some, some, uh, you know, throws. And I think that Penix was, you know, forcing some things. Um, but with USC, I felt like their game plan was stupid. I think that there were a lot of throws <laughs> that were open over the middle, you know, against uh, Oregon State safeties and linebackers that they weren't taking because they wanted, I don't know what they wanted to do, like show off maybe. Like, what do you, yeah, what, I, I, what did I you know. think about that game, Travis? I didn't, I think. I just don't know if, yeah, it, they just didn't seem to plan very well for Oregon State, and I don't know if it was. It really seemed like not, they didn't understand where Oregon State's strengths and weaknesses were. Like, I, yeah, and I think, and yeah, and I don't know if it was because of, because I think that was the Oregon State's first, I mean, they, I guess they, they had played Fresno State and Boise State and then Montana State, so I don't know if it was just they didn't trust the uh, yeah. film. Yeah, um, I, I think, well, I think they just thought they were going to run Oregon State off the field. Yeah. Um, and they, I just don't think they really put any effort into game planning that game at all. Um, and, and again, I'm not trying to tear the bees down by saying that, but it's sort of like uh, going back to, to what I've been saying sort of throughout this podcast. It's just like, it's difficult, even though I've got 11 FBS games worth of film <laughs> on this team or 10, 11 total, 10 FBS, uh, I, there are so many questions for me about whether or not Oregon State is for real because I think a lot of opponents sort of either didn't take them seriously or had packed it in by the time that they played Oregon State and uh, and I, I really only feel like I have like one real good games worth of data on them which is the Washington game um, and even then Washington is a really incomplete team um, and so I don't even feel like and that was like boy look at the box score of that game just gross um, <laughs> you know like I yeah I, I feel like I know less about this Oregon State team than I usually do given that Oregon plays them the last game of the year um I, I do you feel similarly like this team is still sort of a mystery team absolutely I haven't been able to figure out this team a lot of the year it's one of those like the other day I mean what are we where, what are we at what's our roster what's our eight and three right yeah yeah like I yeah they lost us to to Washington Oregon State or uh, USC and uh Utah and Utah 
but which are like the three best teams that they played. I, I yeah. should be sad. Like, no, but it just like even after after winning the Arizona State game, when it's like, oh, they're eighth one, and, and I just it even hearing it, I'm like, oh, really? This because they to me they don't. I, I'm having a hard time. It's they don't really seem to do anything that makes me go, oh wow, this seems really good at this. You know, you got Damian Martinez. Mm-hmm. The defense is way stronger than it has been the past couple of years, but it is still just. I've got no doubts about Martinez, Rawls, Sandberg, and Spates. Uh, but, I think those guys are absolutely for real. But sort of everybody else, it's sort of like, well, maybe, but maybe not. It's a mystery. Yeah. This team is, I, and I think maybe that's why it's kind of, I think they've definitely caught some teams by surprise. But then you have games like the Stanford game, which I feel like they should have rolled the rolled Stanford and you yeah, get, and instead they needed the weird the world's weirdest you know final play of the game in order yeah, to win right exactly so it's this team is really hard to figure out yeah sure <laughs> well we'll get more data on Saturday but it'll be too late <laughs> um hey last question that I want to ask you about personnel uh uh is the the safeties or just in general like it's weird to me because I really think I've only seen three of them the entire season Oladapo Cooper and Grant and which sort of means I think I've only seen five defensive backs you know in a nickel defense it sort of means like hey where's the rotation here like do they you know I'm not like I'm hoping for injuries or anything but if you know somebody's a scratch during this game like who gets put in um well Grant was scratched last week oh was he yeah um And we did see a lot I guess it tells stuff. you how much Arizona State was challenging uh, yeah. Oregon State's defense that I didn't even notice that. We did see a lot more of um oh Skylar Thomas. Oh Skylar Thomas, okay. Um but yeah, beyond that, I and I'm I pulled up the roster right now just to see if I'm like I'm looking through these names and um yeah, the, you don't really see a whole lot of, of these other guys. So it is it has been a pretty well, I, I guess I would say like I, five guys, more or less. Ke- Kenny Dillingham, Oregon's offensive coordinator, surprises me every week, which is like that's he's, a, he's a finalist, but but yeah, him. I, I mean, it's, it's unusual for a film reviewer to be um, surprised by a team that they study every week. Um, yeah, he's he every week he does something that I am not expecting, um, which is interesting, certainly. Um, the if I had to sort of make hazard a guess here about the unexpected thing that he's going to do in this game is that he might, um, he might just say, I'm not even going to challenge right in Austin. I'm going to throw against the safeties and the the linebackers in the middle of the field because Oregon has a pretty good set of of tight ends and slot receivers. And, and you might just see like, we, we may finish the season and still not really know about right in Austin because Dillingham just doesn't challenge them. Um, And, and so the passes go to the middle of the field. Uh, Like that's sort of, if I had to make a guess, that's sort of, you know, and that's why, you know, I wanted to finish by asking you about these DBs. Like, do you think, that they're more vulnerable than the cornerbacks are um i i think i, I have a lot of faith in Jaden grant okay um do you think he's going to be available this game that's yeah i have no idea that's, all right i think so but again it's it's he's one of those there's that veil of secrecy of of how how injured these guys are and whether or not they are this week but yeah if if he's not out there, it de- it definitely is a a 
question mark of can these guys can these guys like you said stop sort of that middle 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 passing game well um, i mean that was the that was the thing about you know the oregon's last game against utah was that like they you know utah's got one really good cornerback clark phillips um and oregon still tried to throw against him too much uh you know frankly but like what utah found out was that like oh guess what you know oregon's got more than one guy you can catch the ball <laughs> you know like they've they, you know it's why like dante thornton who hadn't really been super productive for oregon you know got two massive catches and you know why a lot of stuff went to tight ends and, and running backs and interior receivers and screens and so forth is like yeah you know you you know Oregon is a is a talented enough team that like you can't just shut down one aspect and then expect to win the game you got to like shut down all of it and like Oregon State potentially can shut down all of it but maybe potentially they can really shut down part of it and that was just the you know Washington's idiosyncrasies because like I said that's the strange thing about this data set um, for evaluating Oregon State's defense I really felt like the best film that I got to watch was the Washington game and Washington really doesn't run the ball very well and they don't throw inside very well they don't use their wide receiver or excuse me tight ends very much they really have they have two excellent outside receivers and the way that Oregon State I think is really good is defending those and so like yeah you put those two together you got a strength on strength matchup but like but I didn't get you know I really the entire year have not had the opportunity to evaluate like Oregon State's ability to play full spectrum defense and I think that Oregon is going to test that and I don't know how it's going to (laughs) go well that's why we watch the game y'all I'm so excited that we could have both of you on for this episode for this this big game Uh, it's nice that you know both teams have a lot to play for and it's nice to chat to both with both of you Um, Hithliday of Addicted to Quack once again Please, listeners, go over there, read his duck tapes. Very informative. It's a good watch. It's a good read. And Travis Johannes, once again, from Building the Dam, couldn't be more excited to have you on again. And and if you win, uh, we extend this to all our guests. If you, if you beat the ducks, feel free to send us a message or hop on the next show and glow all you want. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I, 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 I yeah. Um, I'm, I'm bummed I didn't take advantage of that a couple of years ago, but you know. I know <laughs> you were a gentleman and, and yeah, it was I'm not a foolish anymore. move. Yeah, <laughs> that, was, that was dumb. That was dumb. That was a mistake. I mean, it, it only took a worldwide pandemic and a game played in a complete fog storm. Uh, but yeah, no, cool. No, no, just one. Uh-huh. Absolutely. It, all you need was a little chance. Pandemic wins are worth, worth two or worth two. I just made that up, but yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, we'll see what kind of zaniness happens in this one. It's all for the platy. Nice talking to both of you. Take care, guys. Go Beavs. Go Beavs, go Ducks. See you on the